Hi, good morning, everyone. Let's turn on our Bibles today to the book of Psalms, 133 today. And I'm from Monterey, California, and have pastored the Calvary there for the last 10 years. And I grew up in that community. My father, Bill, who I think has taught here multiple times, founded that church many years ago. And so it's just great to be able to be a part of what God is doing here on earth. And he's doing beautiful things in our church right now. This year we're uh, blessed to be able to plant two churches, one in our community and one uh, in Florida. Last year we planted another church in our community. And so we're just really rejoicing at seeing the gospel advance through the body of Christ, which is really what it's all about. We want to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And so it's just a joy to be able to be a part of that. And I get so blessed every time I get to go to be part of another Calvary Chapel affiliate fellowship because for me, it's just there's a, there's a commonality of love and purpose. And the thing that has encouraged me this whole weekend has just been seeing how many people in this church have taken seriously the commission to serve the body of Christ and to love one another by serving one another. There are just so many good servants in this church. and It's just apparent and beautiful. So it's just an honor to be able to be with you And uh, my first memory of Bill Walden was when I was, I think, five or six years old. He was in a Christian punk rock band called Undercover. And our church in in Monterey held an outreach concert. And my parents brought me into it, and we were seated in the back. And I just couldn't stand it. It was so loud, I had to leave. It was just too too much for my little five-year-old ears. But uh, so it's just an honor to be able to teach in this church. So our fellowship back in Monterey, we did a short uh, time for about four months where we went through the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, the songs that ancient Israel would sing three times each year when they went to worship God in the temple and made that pilgrimage to Jerusalem and then back home from Jerusalem. So some of the songs have to do with the journey, some of the songs have to do with the temple itself, and some of the songs have to do with their departure from Jerusalem and going back home. But one psalm in particular really has captured my heart and it has been a blessing to me personally and I think for our church as well there in Monterey. So I wanted to actually share it with you uh, today. So Psalm 133, I'm just going to read it in its entirety and then pray and uh, jump into it. So it's, it's a psalm of unity. Many of you probably know this song. We actually have many songs that we've written in our modern era about this song or from these lyrics. It says in verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. How many of you, when you walked in this morning, if I had asked you for a definition of unity, you would have said, well, here's what it's like. It is like oil flowing down. This is just not the way we would normally describe unity, but it's beautiful, and I hope to explain it to you this morning. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. God, we do pray for your grace and just not only understanding what unity is, but being able to experience it, Lord, more and more here on earth. We believe, Lord, and know that we live in this broken and fractured 
and pain-filled world. And we believe, Lord, that we ourselves so often contribute to that brokenness and that pain and that fracture. And we believe, Lord, that a day is coming when every sin will be wiped away, every tear will be done away with, and we will dwell in perfect unity before you. We're going to look around, as Bill mentioned earlier, and see every tribe and nation and tongue worshiping before your throne. And we await that day. We await that moment, and we can't wait to experience that unity centered around you. But we do pray, Lord, that here in this life, more and more, we might be able to, through the blood of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he offers, that we might be able to experience your great unity more and more here in this world. Lord, centered around you and your gospel. And so we pray for that, and we ask that you teach us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, imagine for a moment that you came to the Bible without any real preconceived understanding of the Bible. And imagine that you said to yourself, you know, I want to learn what brothers, what family looks like. You know, my family, we haven't had all that much unity, so I'd like to see what brothers do to cultivate unity. So I'm going to read the Bible. And maybe not really knowing where to start, you begin in the book of Genesis. And you start reading. And you read about Adam and Eve, and you discover that they had two sons. Great, beautiful opportunity to read about unity amongst brothers. And then you discover that the first brothers ended with one of them killing the other. So you're a little discouraged. But you decide to keep reading. Maybe later on they'll get their act together and they'll have real unity you know, as the pages unfold. And so you move further and you read about Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and you read about disunity amongst them as Ham behaved inappropriately and the brothers had to correct the sin that he had done against his father. You move further in the book of Genesis and you read about Abraham having two sons from two different women, but these two sons became rivals against each other. You read even further and you discover that Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Jacob and Esau, who started fighting inside of the womb of their mother. And on and on you go throughout the book of Genesis and you read of all of this disunity amongst brothers, disunity amongst even God's own people. You might read of Joseph and the way that his brothers sold him into slavery. You might read of Moses and his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam and read about how when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, Aaron, his brother, had been busy building a golden calf for the people of Israel to worship. Or you might remember the episode when Aaron and Miriam said, we don't agree with the woman that you have chosen to marry. And they became divided over that issue. On and on throughout Scripture, there is a division of literal brothers. You might have even turned to the life of Jesus and said to yourself, well, I mean Jesus. Maybe with Him there is unity amongst the family. And you read about Jesus being born, of course, a beautiful, miraculous birth, but then Mary and Joseph going on to have natural-born children, but that those half-brothers of Jesus didn't even believe Him during His earthly ministry and actually taunted Him a little bit to make Himself more publicly known. Over and over again throughout the Bible, we find ourselves discovering 
disunity. And this occurs because one brother is so full of self and their own desires that they fight against another to get their own way. No, unity is something that is beautiful, but it is also something that in the Bible is incredibly rare. But here in this song, we learn that when it's found amongst God's people, it is something that is good. It is something that is pleasant. And make no mistake, unity is something that as believers we must absolutely fight for because you can gain it over a lifetime but lose it in five minutes. And so it must be something that is perpetually, continually fought for amongst God's people. In fact, when I taught this to our church in Monterey, I told them, I said, the title of this message is War for Unity. You have to fight for it. You've got to roll up your sleeves and say, I am going to get it amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. So let me show you a few things about unity from this psalm. First of all, number one, I wanted to show you that unity, the good kind, it comes from God. The words that I want you to notice here all throughout Psalm 133 are words like, verse 1, brothers. How, how are we even made brothers? We're made brothers by God. He makes us into his family. And then in verse 2, notice that it's like oil running down from the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And it's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. And the, there the Lord commanded the blessing. The idea is that unity, it comes from above and it flows down. It's something that God produces. It's something that God makes. It, it flows down. It descends upon Herman. He is the one who makes us brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And the reason I've said it this way, that unity, the good kind, comes from God, is because mankind is actually rather good at producing an evil version of unity. This began all the way back in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 when the people deciding to rebel against God's command to go into all of the world and to populate the earth decided that instead they wanted to live in one city, to speak one language, to have one economy. If you really think about it, it's the desire that humanity has even now in our modern time. We want to have one world we want to have one financial system. We want to have one language. And we want to dispense with anyone who thinks differently than this secular humanist worldview embraces. So it's the same thing even today. But that desire, that unity that man produces, it all started way back when there in the book of Genesis. We've even seen in our recent culture, in our recent world, Unity in the ugliest uh, form and variety. You know the events that happened in Charlottesville where you have white supremacists coming together to unite and you know, stand as a superior species? That's a form of unity, a group of people coming together around one cause that is so fleshly and sinful and man-produced. So human beings are able to produce an ugly version of unity, but only God can produce a beautiful unity. Amen? 
because only in Jesus Christ do we have something beautiful and wonderful to unite around. And God seems to love this concept. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that God had a plan from the fullness of time. What is God's plan from the fullness of time? He said in Ephesians 1, verse 10, it's to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And we know that God's way of uniting things to Himself is through the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, we're a group of people, believers, that believe that one day there's going to be what we call the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Where He is going to return here to earth and He is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron for a thousand years. And that literally He's going to establish His physical rule and reign here on earth. And the prophecies in the Old Testament tell us that it's going to be a spectacular time. The lion is going to lie down with the lamb. Uh, Animals who are predators and carnivores are going to go back to, revert to, being herbivores. And it's going to be this beautiful time. There's actually a prophecy in Isaiah that tells us that the child is going to play by the den of the cobra. There's going to be no danger there for the child. The curse is going to be suspended or reversed to a degree during that time. It's just going to be this powerful thing as we watch the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. But I think that the thing that is going to make our jaws drop during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ is watching all of humanity get along with with each other. You know, the lion and the lamb will be impressive, but seeing nations cease to war, that is going to be absolutely beautiful to us to observe as Christ rules and reigns. And so the first thing that we see here is that unity, the good kind, it comes from God. The Lord gives it to us. And I think, you know, haven't you noticed that the more that we center ourselves upon the cross of Jesus Christ. The more that we think about the Lord, the more that we love the Lord, the more we worship the Lord, the more we celebrate His gospel message. Haven't you noticed that the more that we do that, the more unity we discover? Because, of course, within Christianity, there's going to be a million different side issues that we will probably not have full unity in the sense of uniformity about, But if we can center ourselves more and more upon the cross of Jesus Christ, that's where we actually begin to feel more of unity in mission and what God has asked us to do here in the world. Now, number two, I wanted to point out to you from that first verse that unity is healthy and enjoyable. The way that it's described, at least I'm reading from the English Standard Version, it's good and pleasant. Does it say good and pleasant in the New King James Version? Yeah, good and pleasant. If you really think about it, there's not a lot in life that is both good and pleasant. You know, maybe a way to think about this would be to think about some of your, you know, favorite foods that you like to eat. One of the things we love about coming to Napa is we love the food. There's just always good food. And when we got here on Friday night, Pastor Bill took us out to eat some good Mexican food. And then after we were all just, it was a sneak attack, actually, because we were all full, we all ate too much. There was probably a little bit of sin that happened. And we were all full, and then after we're all full, he looks at everybody and he's like, ice cream? (laughs) You know, I was like, man, that's a surprise attack. I would have prepared myself for that, you know, but um, 
I have an unbroken track record of, of uh, saying yes to ice cream. And so I couldn't, I couldn't resist. You know, I couldn't say no, so we went and had some ice cream. Well, ice cream is something that is pleasant. But if I'm never going to go to my doctor or my nutritionist, and they, they're never going to say, hey, you know what you need to eat more of? More ice cream. You need more ice cream. You know, the reality is broccoli is good, but ice cream is pleasant. But the thing about unity is that it is both. It is something that is very good for us, like sit-ups and flossing, but it is also a blessing. It's also pleasant, like a beautiful meal or a wonderful sunset. When a, when a body of believers has unity, it's just so enjoyable to live in, so enjoyable to experience. It tastes so good, but it also is good for us. Because through that unity, we are able to produce for the King of Kings, and for the Lord of Lords. The, er, the first church, the early church, is a fascinating church to me because it took them, and God was patient with this, and he waited for them to understand this, and he had strategic moments where he would reveal himself so that they would understand fully how far the gospel was meant to run, but it took them about 10 years to figure out that the gospel was for all the nations exclusive of Judaism. For 10 years, the church grew. They had beautiful, a beautiful time. But there came a moment where, of course, the Lord revealed to Peter that the gospel was for the Gentile world. He knew that God was leading him up to Caesarea, and he preached there to a room filled with Gentile people, and he watched the Holy Spirit of God fall upon them simultaneous to their belief. He realized that God shows no partiality. But it took a while for the church to agree about that. And Peter, Paul had gone out after Peter and preached the gospel and gone on his first missionary journey. And so in Acts 15, they got together in Jerusalem. Paul was there and Barnabas was there. Peter was there. James was there. And they all debated and, con and considered, what is God doing? What has God said? Who, who is God trying to reach? Do people need to convert to Judaism before they become Christians? Or if they become Christians, do they then need to follow Jewish laws and restrictions? And they came to the conclusion through just simple, simply listening and observation that God truly was showing no partiality and that the Gospel was allowed to run free amongst the pagan nations of the world without any attachment of Judaism connected to it. And once they agreed about that, after ten years of the Gospel being mostly there in Jerusalem, there in Israel, and a few little other pockets, once there was that agreement, once there was that unity, man, the Gospel just exploded throughout the world. This is the potential, this is the good and pleasant reality of what can occur when unity comes more and more into our lives. I remember when I was graduating from high school, it seemed like the a cute thing to do for the, you know, they have the, the valedictorian or the salutatorian would make speeches. And it seemed like there was this little trend, maybe it's still going on now, but I'm kind of out of the loop of, with high school graduations. Uh, my oldest daughter will get there in a few years. But uh, what they would do is a lot of students would quote uh, from the Dr. Seuss book 
oh, the places we'll go. And they would start reading this. It was Dr. Seuss, you know, and just, oh, the places we'll go. And kind of the idea was like this inspiring moment where we're all sitting there, these bright-eyed, you know, 18-year-olds, and just like, oh, the places we're going to go and oh, the stuff we're going to do. You know, the future is so bright and so wonderful and all oh, the things we're going what, what to do, what's going to happen in our lives. But I think if we really think about life and, and what it takes to, to be fruitful and to move for the kingdom of God, you probably would say, oh, the places we'll go if we have unity. If we're together, if we're united, oh, the places we'll go. If my marriage is united, oh, the places that we will go, the things that we will do for the Lord and what we will give to our children. If my family is united, if I'm united with my children, oh, the places we'll go. I've tried to make in my own life a mission of having unity with the most important people in my life. I find that it's very easy to be united with people that I, bar- that I barely know or united with people that I may be connected with online or something like that, but to be united with the most important, closest people in my life. So for me, I've kind of made a little list of it mentally. If I could be united with Christina, if I could be united with my children, if I could be united with my closest friends, and if I could be united with the elders in my church... If that could happen, then I know that I'll be able to run in life. Oh, the places will go if I could have those levels of unity in my life. And so it's sort of been a life mission of mine to fight for, to war for unity in those spaces. And so it's beautiful and it's good and it's pleasant. Now if I could just say this third thing about unity... You know, first we've seen that it comes from God and that it's beautiful and healthy. It's enjoyable. But number three, I just wanted to point out that unity enables us to dispense with the idea of uniformity. Because the reason that they're singing this song right now is because all the brothers, verse 1, have come to Jerusalem and dwelt there in unity. And they're all getting together in Jerusalem and they're worshiping God. And if you could just sort of imagine this for a moment, the reality is they were all of Israel, but they were all comprised of these different tribes. Some of these tribes were like mountainous tribes from mountain areas. And some of these tribes were valley tribes where they were farming and that kind of community. Some of these tribes were coastal tribes with fishermen and, and all of that. So if you just sort of imagined it in a California kind of context, California's bigger than Israel is, but we have a similar kind of shape or idea. So let's maybe imagine like a bunch of Californians going to Lake Tahoe together. And imagine like you got the mountain people, you know, you got the the uh, people from the high Sierras, you know, and they've got their big beards and their flannels and their work boots, and maybe they've got like an axe or something like that. Is that what they do up there? They carry axes around just in case you're going to chop down a tree just on, the, just on a lark. That tree needs to get chopped down. And then you got like the coastal people from Southern California with their flip-flops and their long hair, and they're all laid back. You've got maybe valley people, you know, you've got... Napa Valley people, you know, all, they're all foodie, you know, kind of people. You're like, hey, taste this, try this, eat this, you know, kind of thing. And, and you've got all these different kind of people, but as they come together, as they came together there in Jerusalem, they looked around and they said, this is so cool. 
we're all very different. We come from these different places, with these different cultures and customs, yet we're coming together and we're unified around the worship of our great God and King. So unity, what I wanted to just point out, it really does dispense with the idea, the myth of uniformity. You know, we look to the nations and we see that God loves the nations. And what God is going to do in a church in, on the west coast of Africa is going to look and feel so different from what God is going to do in a church in, on the west coast of California. But the reality that we are all together, we're unified in Jesus Christ. Centered around the gospel and the word of God will take different shapes throughout the nations. We're not uniform, but we are unified. This has actually been a cool recent kind of, I think, understanding that modern missionaries have begun to embrace more more and more. Because for a while it seemed like we were exporting the gospel, but also westernism. And now there's a little bit more of an understanding. Like what, what we want to make sure we do is to try as best we can to simply export the gospel and the word of God and to try to leave the cultural things to the culture. And Christianity doesn't mean that there's going to be button-down shirts and blue jeans, but it means that the gospel of Jesus Christ can save and redeem and cleanse and wash. It can survive and live in any tribe and nation and culture and tongue. This is what Jesus Christ is able to do. And the truth or the reality is that this is the only religion in the world that's able to do this. To export Islam or to export Hinduism you have to actually sh- shift and, and reshape what a culture looks like. But Christianity can live and survive in any culture and in any time. And so unity enables us to dispense with the idea of uniformity. You will look different from me and I will be different from you, but it's all good because we are centered around the cross of Jesus Christ. There will be differing, differing gifts and differing ministries and different ways of even doing things in serving Jesus according to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 and 6. But we love it because God seems to be all about it. All right, now I also wanted to show you and explain to you this whole thing about the, the beard of Aaron and the dew and all of that. Because like I joked about earlier, I'm sure many of you, if I pressed you for a definition like, hey, describe unity, what is it like? Probably none of you would say, well, the first thing that comes into my mind is oil running down this guy named Aaron's head and flowing onto the collar of his robe. Some of you might have even read that and you're like, who is this Aaron guy? You know, I don't know who he is. So let me just explain this to you and then try to apply this to our our modern time. So in Israel, the priests were comprised of descendants from Aaron. Uh, Aaron was the brother of Moses and they were of the tribe of Levi. But So the tribe of Levi, they would serve God but specifically the descendants of Aaron would serve God as the priests who would go into the temple to lead the people of Israel in worship. Now, when a priest, a descendant of Aaron, was ordained for ministry, they had this whole little ceremony that they would go through, and one of the things that they would do is they would take this oil that God had given the ingredients for, 
and they would anoint the new priest with oil. It would flow down onto his head, it would go through his beard, it would go down onto the collar of his robes. So what we're seeing here in verse 2 is a priest being ordained for ministry. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, one thing that you probably know is that there were some long periods in Israel's history where they really didn't need to ordain very many priests to worship God. And the reason that they did not need to ordain many priests to worship God is because not many Israelites wanted to worship God during long periods of their history. So, when the oil was flowing, what that meant was that God's people were showing up in Jerusalem. And when they were showing up in Jerusalem, banging down the doors of the temple saying, we want to worship God, we want to sacrifice to the Lord, the priests kind of looked around they're like, dude, we need to get some more guys. So they would get these sons of Aaron, descendants of Aaron, and they would anoint them, take them through the ceremony, and ordain them for the work of of the Lord. So this was a beautiful moment. When the oil was flowing, it meant worship was flowing. It meant the glory of God was flowing. It meant people's priorities and love for the Lord of Israel was preeminent in that moment. When the oil ceased to flow, it meant that there was no need for new priests because the worship of God was at a low ebb amongst His people. So, I want us to think about this in a couple of ways. First of all, I want us to think about this in the realm of, I think that unity, it seems like what he's communicating, what they're singing about, is that unity comes more and more when I see you and you see me in a more priestly kind of way. And what do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we might wrestle with the Old Testament priesthood and the modern church and try to figure out what were those guys like? And it actually might be tempting for us because, you know, there they were. They were like leading worship and they were leading, you know, people praying and worshiping God. So it'd be really natural for us to think, okay, like we know that there's no temple anymore and there's no tabernacle to go worship at and we're not offering animal sacrifice sacrifices, thank the Lord, because that was all just a, an emblem or a picture of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ so that sacrifice has been completed so we're not doing that anymore praise the Lord but maybe a modern priest uh, would be like pastors or worship leaders you know spiritual leadership that is involved in saying hey let's worship God and I'll lead you in the worshiping of God and all of that but actually in the New Testament what we learn is that we the body of Christ we are a kingdom of priests. The Bible teaches us that we, there is such a thing called the priesthood of all the believers. So the reality is, in the Old Testament, there were certain guys who got to, at certain times, go in to pray and to fellowship with God. But every single believer in Jesus Christ today, on this side of the cross, gets to go all the way in to the Holy of Holies, and we all get to fellowship with God. Amen? We all have that access to the Lord. So, in a sense, like Peter said, we are a, a kingdom of priests before God. And I find that unity just really seems to increase 
when I carry an attitude about other believers like they are a priest before the Lord. And now it's very easy for me to believe that you're a priest before the Lord in the sense that you have access to God. You know, that you can pray to God, you can cry out to God, but you know the area that it's harder for me to imagine you having a priesthood before the Lord? It's harder for me to imagine it when it comes to you maybe having a ministry to me and to my heart. This is where it gets hard for us. We all believe in the priesthood of the saints vertically, but it's harder for us to believe it horizontally. That there are times where someone might have the perfect word for you. Someone might have the perfect encouragement for your heart. Someone might have the perfect perspective for you. And if you were to mind their heart, if you were to consider them in that kind of way, the unity that would grow. That when we gather together, we look around and we say, man, I wonder what this person has for me. I wonder what I could learn from that person over there. And just watching the way that this, I was watching people at the door today, just greeting people and loving people as they walked in. And there's something for me to learn just watching that example. And the more that we think that way and the more that we view things that way, I think the more a unity flows like the oil flowing down on Aaron's beard. So, the more that I change my view of you, and I think of you like a priest before the Lord, the more that unity flows. But not only that, he says there in verse 3 that it's like the dew falling down uh, from, from Hermon uh, there onto Jerusalem. Jerusalem is dry and arid, but Mount Hermon at over 9,000 feet it gets this dew and snow and moisture. And the pilgrims are just imagining for a second as they're up there in Jerusalem, the dry and hot climate. Two of their three feasts happen during the dry, hot months of the year. And they're just imagining, wouldn't it be so refreshing if in the middle of this heat wave, the dew of Hermon came down upon us? It'd be so refreshing. And wouldn't it be wild if all the moisture from Hermon came down upon Mount Jerusalem and growth and vegetation began to spring forth? And this is also a way that my view of you and your view of me can also shift to lead to great unity. You see, disunity is fostered when we look at someone in the body of Christ and we say to ourselves, they are in a rut and they can never change. Growth will never occur in their lives. They are so stuck. But when we look at each other and we have hope, perpetual Christian new covenant hope, that even a person who is stuck for decades in the same over and over and over again experience of sin that through the Gospel of Jesus Christ and a walk with Him could be redeemed from that and rescued, and that growth could come into their lives. And when that occurs with, within my heart, unity just begins to foster and grow in such a beautiful way. All right, now last thing to show you as we wrap it up this morning. The final thing is just simply this. Unity leads to God's glory. Oil on the head of Aaron, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. What you have here are just these people who long and desire so badly to worship the Lord. This is what life 
is all about. To bring that glory to God. They wanted more priests because they wanted to worship the Lord. And this is just so true in amongst a body of believers. Have you ever noticed that, like in a small group or something like that, as you're gathered together? The more unity you have in that small group, the more you know, purpose that you all share together in that small group, the more you come to a place where it's like, man, this is just beautiful what's happening right here. As we talk, as we fellowship, as we pray, it's just powerful. But when disunity comes into that group and you're divided or splintered or fractured, it just gets awkward, doesn't it? You know, you gather together and you're like, man, okay, what, what weird thing's going to happen today? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And it's really hard to have that feeling of just openness and sharing and progress that uh, the Lord so badly wants for us to have. And so unity really does lead ultimately to the glory of God. So Bill has been asking me these different questions you know, just about our church in Monterey, and I, it kind of puts me in a little bit of like a reminiscing mode. It's kind of what pastors do, you know, when we get together, like, hey, what's going on in this church, and what's going on in, in your fellowship, and, you know, what, what's happening here, and who's doing what, you know, and so we've just been talking, and it kind of gives you a little bit of a chance to reflect, you know, and for me, as I like look at this church, and I see just love and community and all that, it's just kind of like, oh man, okay, cool, how are we doing in Monterey? What's going on there, you know? And I've just been thinking about Man, I think that one of the most precious possessions, one of the most beautiful things, if someone was to say, what's God doing in Monterey? I would say, I think the most precious thing that we have right now is unity. It's actually so beautiful that I sometimes get like a little bit paranoid that we're going to lose it. You know, I'm just like, oh man, this is so good. I sit together with our pastors, our leadership, and it's like, man, we are so on the same page. We want the same things. We have the same desire, and we are just trying to run as close to full speed as we possibly can. And I'm like, this is so good. And anytime we get to a point where it's like, maybe the, maybe the Lord's raising this guy up, it's kind of like the first thing in my mind is like, are you going to be the guy that ruins our unity? You know, it's like the first question that I have. Am I going to be able to get along with you? you know, are we going to be tight? Are we going to be on the same page? Because we are getting so much done right now because of that. Because that unity is there. Because we're together, running in step and in harmony together. And I just rejoice over it. And as I think about it, I think, man, it's just so beautiful to have that with those guys and with some of those leaders. But I look out more and more at our whole church and I'm thinking but there's more unity that we could have. I want more of it. I want more of that feeling that we're together, that we're running in that same course, that same mission, with that same plan that the Lord has given to us to make disciples of all nations. I'm longing for it. I want more of it. I realize that we are not at that 100% unified place today. And so I'm longing for more. And so as I thought about it, I just thought, I do not know a church on the face of the earth that couldn't benefit from even more unity than they already have. And so I thought I'd talk to you about it today. Because what a blessing it would be for whatever unity is here in this fellowship today, for it to double and triple and quadruple as the years go by. Oh, the things that God would use this church for in the Napa Valley and beyond. Just absolutely beautiful. So let's pray and let's ask God to give this to us because it flows down from him so father we just come before you and we thank you lord 
for the great and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And as the blood of Jesus flowed from His side and flowed from His hands and flowed from His feet, there the church found something glorious to unify around. We thank You for this great message, this gospel that You have given to us, that You have blessed us with. And Lord, this morning, our deepest heart and desire is to be able to get out of the way so that You, Lord, can run in this world, loving it, making disciples, reaching it, Lord, for Your honor and for Your glory. And so, God, we pray for that. We pray, Lord, that You would unify us within our own hearts, that dichotomy that is so often there, where we do evil and we do good and we're just back and forth. We pray, Lord, for a unity there that we would be more wholly devoted to You. But we also pray, Lord, that together with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, You would bless us with a deeper unity than we've ever experienced before, that we'd be able to run in the calling that You've given to us, Lord, in our lives and in our churches. And so we pray for that, Lord, to come more and more. We thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen.